right, you crazy ladies. Have a fun show, and don't forget to edit this little part out. All right. Hate you, Jess. She would have none of it, so we're just gonna play it classy like from my phone. Yeah, this is. Thank you, thanks, Aaron, Aaron Willis. Willis. Thanks, Aaron C. Willis. Mm -hmm. Music and lyrics by Noah, Noah Evan Wilson and Max <laughs> McCune. Vocals by Aaron C. Willis. Um, but we'd really, before we get started, we really want to thank Benchmark Theater for hosting us tonight. Um, John Hauser, the man up front mm -hmm. who's helping us record this. Um, he also did sound design for the production of 1984, so you'll see his work if you come see the show. Well, or you'll hear it. And everybody who's uh, listening to this in like a week's time can't see the badass set behind us. But we're on the set of Benchmark Theater's um, production of 1984. And it's utilitarian and creepy and a little bit freaking me out right now. Yeah, Jessica's slowly sinking into her chair. Um, and lastly, we want to thank John Moore, who uh, runs the Denver Actors Fund. Yes. Um, every dollar you spent tonight will be going right to the Denver Actors Fund, and we're very proud to say that um, it's a wonderful organization. Make sure you check it out. Yeah, and if you're a listener, go to denveractorsfund.org. They're a not-for-profit that helps out actors from the Denver community when they have medical problems or just life happens and they need a little assistance. So um, it's a great, worthy organization to donate to, so if you have a couple extra bucks and tax season's coming up and you need a donation, you can write off. We can still do that, right? Sure. I don't know what the fucking Big Brother tax changes are. I'm <laughs> yeah, um, the, oh. par the party is doing my taxes this mm -hmm. year, so. One, one thing, Lauren and I have made a point like over the first season and a half of the show to not be super political, um, but I don't think you can talk about 1984 without talking about the current politics, so if you're offended by our liberal as fuck views, uh, I think you should probably stop listening to this podcast right now. Yeah, um, we're gonna give you a second if you'd like to leave. Um, not the nobody. Live show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we got their money already. They can go if they want. Okay. okay. Um, no, but if, for the listeners at home, yeah, normally try not to touch into that, but there's too much in 1984 to avoid the orange menace. So right. we are gonna <laughs> discuss a way. Kind way to put it. Do you have any business? Is there anything you want to talk about from previous episodes or catch up on? Uh, I don't believe so. No. What are you reading right now? Nothing. <laughs> Um, usually try to read something for pleasure in conjunction to what I'm reading for this podcast, but, uh, 1984 and George Orwell have taken up a lot of my brain space over the past month, and I haven't really been able to fit anything in. Um, oh, I did read your li lovely little, uh, Neil Gaiman book. You read something. I did. I read a children's book. Um, <laughs> a lovely little book called Instructions by Neil Gaiman that Jessica loaned me, and I meant to bring back and give her back tonight, and I did not. That's okay. You yeah. can read it again. It's Thank a children's you. book. Yeah, it's short. <laughs> um, cool. I'm still doing books on tape of Tana French, this Irish crime novelist, 
And everybody has like these great Irish accents, so I'm on like book three of her Dublin Murder Squad series because Irish murders are the best murders. <laughs> they are, they're real good, they're real good. Speaking um, of murder, yeah, hey, so we're here tonight, without further ado, talk about George Orwell's 1984, um, originally, publi fuck, originally published in 1949 um, and becoming ever more relevant by the day. Fuck. That's all I have to contribute yeah. tonight is the word And fuck. that's the show. <laughs> Everything's terrible. <laughs> Everything sucks. Um, no, we do, before we get into the official summary, we do always have our little tweet link summaries, mm -hmm. which you can always tweet at us at hashtag RRReviews, hashtag RR whatever the book is. 1984. Um, and now it's oh. 1984. <laughs> uh, my tweet link summary is, Big Brother is one big bother. <laughs> wow, I, I didn't expect that to there. <laughs> you were supposed to go last on these because yours are always better than mine. No, not true this time. Uh, my tweet link summary is Big Brother is everywhere. No, wait, he's not. Okay, he is. <laughs> uh, and we are going to get a tweet link summary from a moment from our special guest. Yes, we are really excited. This is the first time we've ever had a guest on our show, um, mainly because we don't want to invite people into our living rooms to sit on our floor while we record. Um, but uh, our guest tonight is Sean Scrutchins. Sean Scrutchins. Um, brought to you by Actors' Equity Association, um, is playing Winston Smith in the Benchmark production, and he is so kind to be here tonight to talk with us a little bit about the book and play. Okay, so welcome, Sean Scratch. Coming right up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good Come up here. here. They're not Sean, clapping for Sean, us. Sean, do you know where you are? <laughs> Don't ask me that. Ah. All right, all right, welcome, Sean. Great, no, it's great to be here. Thank you. Sean, do you have a shorty tweet like summary for us? A shorty tweet of the play? Yeah, or, the, sh or the book, do you have a shorty of the book? Summary? A shorty summary, so summer it up in a tweet? Yeah, um, say your mom one a sec. Uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll have to think about that. Yeah, think about, yeah, think about it, yeah. That's fair. Uh, but we did, we did want to know what like your summary of the play and the book is like a longer impression of it. A longer impression. Yeah, so you don't have to be tweet like no pressure on. That. <laughs> okay, uh, well, uh, I guess if to sum it up is 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 where it that it is a place of complete. There is no privacy, and there is this constant question of truth and reality. And I think that what Winston is is trying to figure out, he's kind of being awoke to the society he's living in, um, and. I think the question of whether or not to fight or to, it's a kind of a take a red pill, take a blue pill hmm. kind of question. And you were saying, so you said you had read this before, like in college, well, right? Yeah, I read it in high school, and I think the two things that I took away from it in high school was like Teehee that had sex. Um, <laughs> and, and the other one was like, uh, oh, oh my God, um, everything sucks. Right. That was, those were the, the only two things. And then, of course, I kind of forgot about it. And then, mm -hmm. and then I got the, and then I booked it. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna go read it. And then, I literally every page said fuck. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, I did not know before we did this. Jessica, this was her first time reading this book. Yep, not a word. I hadn't read a word of it. Um, yeah, I had, I had a very similar experience because I read it in college, and then um, this time around, it's been, it's been a real real doozy to get through <laughs> it's just it's um i think with our current political climate um it's impacted me in very different ways 
Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't read it at all until, like, I started reading it a couple weeks ago, but I've worked in enough high high school classrooms that have done, like, book reports and shit, so there's, like, always collages and dioramas of this, so I'm like, what is this? Uh, And so I've had just sort of the, no idea what it's about, but I've seen what high school students think think it's about, which is never right. Um, Kids, read closer. Um... So I walked in being like, yeah, dystopian future, everything sucks, Big Brother's watching. You always kind of pick that up just in the cultural zeitgeist. But, holy shit, it's not that far away. How, I mean, how many times did the, the phrase North Korea come up when you were rehearsing? Uh, uh, North like, Korea, immigration, uh-huh. wall, um, like uh, fake news, double, yeah. I mean, double think, double it's think. all of those things. That it's... It yeah. was almost like you could go down the list and check it off and be like, we are not more than three years away from this if we're not careful. Like, shit's really applicable in this. Yeah. So I was horrified, and I regret letting you choose this book. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's much easier to do a live show when there's a tie-in, though. Yeah, right? I yeah. guess. That's the whole... That's Nobody the whole. does plays of happy books. <laughs> um, no, exactly. <laughs> Is there, are there any happy book plays playing right now? There's Diary of Anne Frank. That's a bummer. Um, Frog and Toad. Thank you. Thank you. The children's plays. Yes, Little Prince. <laughs> Lauren, you can go to those. Yeah. Um, thank you. Appreciate it. Children's plays. <laughs> um, but would you say this time reading it through? So you already knew you had the, had the role when you started to read it again this time, right? Yeah, yeah. So reading it through this time already, were you in that mind frame of um, I'm going to play Winston, mm-hmm. reading it in that? Kind of. Yeah, because I, I, um, I just wanted to immerse myself. You know, I, I, I knew that obviously there's, it's a different experience of, of reading a novel that over the course of several days as opposed to like an hour and 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so my biggest thing was, was when I was reading the novel of just trying to immerse of what Winston was um, experiencing that oppression. Because I think the challenge of, of, what the difference of the novel is, is it's such an internal struggle for Winston, mm. and that's boring on the stage. Yes. Um, uh, that he's an, it's an introvert in, in mm-hmm. an oppressive world, and how can I make that active? So, I mean, there's a specific quote that if I have enough time to yeah. find, uh, your, your worst enemy, he reflected, was your own nervous system. At any point, the tension inside mm-hmm. you was liable to translate itself into some visible symptom. This kind of feeling of constantly being watched and being filled with emotion of anger Mm -hmm. and frustration and fear um, and not showing it. Because if you show it, you're a thought criminal Mm -hmm. and you're put into room 101. And so it's such a, that's, that's the journey that Winston's on in the book. And it's a beautiful journey and it's hard and it's difficult. But like I said, you can't do that on the stage. Right. And so what the play is, the play is a great way of taking that internalized struggle and, and pushing it out um, so the audience can see it. Because it, it's, it's not just Winston, but everybody else on the stage that's infecting him and pushing him and challenging him to get to the point to where uh, he mm-hmm. is more outward in expression. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that you just word, use the word infecting yeah. because I feel like everybody in this play is infected by hopelessness. Yes. And then when you begin that relationship with Julia, suddenly, like, your fucking varicose ulcer goes away. Like, you get better. <laughs> yeah. That's the hardest part for me in this book of ma- imagining oh. Sean in the role 
is at the beginning of the book, Winston is sickly and like skinny and out of breath and just kind of like a bag of shit. And Sean is an attractive human. And oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> so you're not an Orwellian. You don't know if you've heard. Yeah. yeah. Rumor. The word on the street is Sean is not sickly. And then a lot of that, a lot of that stuff uh, is not really in the play. Mm-hmm. The fact yeah. that he was re- he was married. Um, that's not in the play. It's varicose veins. It's or not varicose. The the soul. Oh, so I don't know why I said that. Uh, the 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 yeah the leg thing's not in there. So because it, it's just it's just time. It, it's it, it it takes a lot of the mm-hmm. the emotions and kind of big points, but kind of takes it cuts a lot of that fat off. Um, and one of the largest differences between the book and then this adaptation of the play, which I should mention was written by Robert Ick and Duncan McMillan. Um, it first came out in 2013, and it was on Broadway in 2017. Um, but the largest difference is they have chosen to bookend the play with the appendix, which is um, in the book. Uh, and apparently when it was first published, there was a lot of pushback that George Orwell was getting from his publishers, they did not want him to publish the appendix portion of the book, which in the appendix, um, it's it's pretty much, it's uh, titled The Principles of Newspeak. Um, it's outlining, it's, it's set vaguely in the future, we don't really know where, but it's set at a time after all of this has occurred. Um, and they've chosen to include that in the play. Hmm. Um, what kind of layer does that add for you? Because when I was watching yeah. it, it it, sp- it spoke to me in the audience as someone who, as adding another layer of what is real and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is that something that you, you know, are all playing a little bit as well? or I think that by that point, my journey's ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, Winston, uh, Room 01, 101 is kind of the, the end game for him. Um, and I don't want to go too into what that... Uh, and journey if you haven't seen the play yet but um i think that by that point i'm completely i'm done um i but i what that chant what you said about reality of questioning reality that's kind of where more the play goes um the book is there's a linear time it's it's a b c d and you see a journey the play is more time is really not relevant and and you're constantly questioning what is real and that's that's what Winston Winston's journey is is what is real is this really happening? Um, I have my own kind of personal secret about where Winston is in uh, in the play, um, but I think that uh, it, it when you're watching the play you have to let go of the idea of a concrete reality and a concrete linear time. It's kind of all this um, uh, vague. No, I was telling Hauser, I started falling into like the circular nature of it. It reached a point yeah. about halfway through where I don't know who's seen it yet or who hasn't, but if you haven't yet, even I as an audience member was starting to feel like, wait, I've seen this before. What mm-hmm. is this? What's happening? I mean, you, you get really sucked into that. It's the story. It, almost it messes with yeah. your time. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Well, I mean, I haven't seen the show yet, so I don't know what the bookend is like. But I read it without the appendices, and I was left with this feeling of utter hopelessness that we would never have a time when people could go back and like read his, the diary and that things are eventually okay again. I was like, in the situation as they are, I don't feel like the proles are ever going to rise up. I don't feel like anybody's ever going to be able to fix the situation against this like gigantic propaganda machine. It, I left feeling super hopeless. Yeah. So yay. Yay. <laughs> Um, synopsis, shall we? Yeah, why not? Cool. Um, so the book um, 
we start off with uh, Winston and one of the main things they stress right at the top is that um, he has a, in his possession he has a diary and he started to write in this journal which is already a huge no-no. Everything about this is a no-no. Owning the journal, <laughs> writing in it, saying anything against the party. Um, in Imagine a scenario where you have a telescreen that is somebody is observing you at all times. So like video Alexa? Mm -hmm. Video Alexa. Great. And so when we meet Winston, we, we're immediately put into this scenario. And this is his way of life. Um, he works at... Uh, the Ministry of Truth. Oh, there's all these adorable names. The Ministry of Love, which is actually the worst place ever. Um, and Big Brother is in charge, and the party is in charge, and this new way of life is how we are all living. I do appreciate that Winston has figured out that there's like this alcove he can go to in his little apartment yes. <laughs> and like sneak. And I was like, that's really lucky that the protagonist of our book has an alcove that he can disappear into. <laughs> Does everybody have a secret alcove? I don't I, think so. Well, and... I think that's what was remarkable in the book because you think Winston's alone on this journey mm -hmm. of, of realizing something's going on, but towards the end you start to realize everybody is guilty of being a thought criminal. It's just whether or not they're caught or not. Yeah. Um, that everybody feels these things, but they're so good at suppressing them that you do feel isolated, mm -hmm. you do feel alone. But um, you run into Parsons in the end in, in oh. Room 101 and you and you start to realize that he's not he's not alone. I mean he realize, realizes that there is a resistance, there is a brotherhood, but it's not till towards the end of the book that like everybody feels these things and goes through mm -hmm. them, but they have some are better at controlling it than others. I think that was like the most effective big brother tactic is making you fear every other person. Like, can I confide in them or are they gonna turn me in? Like the fact that he thought Julia was a spy until she said she loved him, you're like, he thought she was the enemy and she had nothing but love for him at the beginning. And that's so effective. Like, if I can't trust you, if I can't trust you, if I can't trust John, hi John. Uh -huh. It gets scary and you have nobody to be on the same page with. You have no allies. And that was like incredibly effective, just beating down the people. Um, one of the most chilling things to me right away is one of the first encounters Winston has when he's out, uh, when Mrs. Parsons comes over and asks, uh, something's broken in their apartment, and my husband's not home, can mm -hmm. you come check it out? Because they all live in the same apartment building. I mean, whatever it is. <laughs> the sad building that everybody yeah. has to live in. Um, and he goes over to help, and the Parsons' children are, they are, because they've only grown up knowing this world, they are just awful. Well, and kids are ruthless anyway. Kids are bad anyway, but when you're growing up being taught that Big Brother is the way to go, um, I mean, they instantly, the first thing she's saying to Winston is, you're a thought criminal. Um, you find out later that a lot of people who are getting turned over are getting turned over because the children are telling on their own parents or on their own relatives or on their own. And it's like, on one hand, this is what they're being taught, but on the other hand, these children are fucking scary. Well, not like how many times have you either babysat or for the people who are parents? <laughs> yeah, I've been a nanny for a long time. Oh, yeah. so. Well, like where a child is like, I hate you. And yeah. in that moment, they do. And mm -hmm. they would seriously turn you over. Oh, yeah. Because And they don't understand what they're doing. So these angry little children who are like, you're not going to give me your chocolate ration? Fuck you. Yeah. They're going to get you dead. Yeah. They're going to get you dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get to see a little bit of uh, his work environment. 
which is, um, like I said, the Ministry of Truth. Uh, could you explain a little bit more how, what your job is? Yeah, so my job, yeah, so my, I'm basically an editor of truth. Um, yeah. it, things come to me, and my orders are to either change the, the, the past that, that reflects the better picture for what Big Brother wants of the present. So I'm constantly erasing anything um, that, is, that, is, that is true that looks bad for the party. So basically my job is to delete things. And so mm -hmm. that's where a lot of my struggle comes in because I have proof of the lies in my hands. I have proof of the true reality, but my job is to destroy it. Um, so that's what the Ministry of Truth is, is this kind of constant, real-time editing of, of the past to fit a present, mm -hmm. which, you know, in or, uh, 1949, the only way for truth was print, you know, is, is newspapers, which that's the, that's the one thing about 1984 that, is, that didn't really predict well to what today is. is that, but I would like to say that we have technology now that we can alter reality. Uh, mm -hmm. We have we have uh, computer software that could take you know what we're saying right now can piece all my words together and assimilate my voice. Mm -hmm. We have computer technology where you can take twenty pictures of me and assimilate of um, uh, facial expressions. So we're right on the cusp right now to where we uh, pr not print but video and audio can be changed in a millisecond and can be corrupted. And so we're yeah, it's scary. We're all We're all fucked. <laughs> <laughs> do you see a video online and you're like oh my god I totally believe that and somebody's like no that whale never attacked that baby it was <laughs> but there's so many things you have to verify you have to snopes like everything, everything before you repost it because so much of that shit is doctored and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of uh, your own kind of cognitive ability to to figure out what is uh, real and what is not and mm -hmm. you know with everybody working 40 hour weeks or 60 hour weeks no one has the time to like snope everything yeah. so we're fucked yeah <laughs> i just i i just noticed this um they all have to do morning exercise um cool. on the telescreen comes this very stern lady who's telling everybody their exercise they have well, to do uh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and it's called it's called the physical <coughs> jerks and would that or would that not be a great band name? <laughs> I just wrote that down. So I, um, I think, however, I just found Sean's tweet length summary. I think Sean's tweet length summary is hashtag we're fucked. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, and okay, so while, while we're at work, uh, one of the first things we're introduced to is the uh, two minutes hate, which is real exciting. Um, like my morning, <laughs> we 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 find out the three we find out the three party slogans, which are war is peace, freedom is slavery, and ignorance is strength. Um, they introduce uh, Big Brother is shown on the screen, and I do like the introduction of him. Um, the face of Big Brother, black haired, black mustachioed, full of power and mysterious calm, and so vast that it almost filled up the screen. Um, and so, yes, all of the workers get to conduct their two minutes hate, which is basically when they yell and scream at images of Goldstein, who is thought to be the uh, party enemy. It's basically organized brainwashing. Yeah. It's, it's getting people, to, it's here's your enemy, you hate the enemy, and it's, and it's a routine, it's yeah. a daily thing. And if you don't do it, you'll be, you'll be dead. Like, and so it, it's this visceral reaction, they're training people to to have these images and these these words, to have a visceral reaction to it, so that you, it, you're
you're trained, you're, you're brainwashed. And, and we see this all the time. We have these words that the media uses, like immigrants coming to steal your job or, or the feminism, feminism <laughs> is a horrible thing. And so people uh, lose that ability to think for themselves and kind of have this brainwashed ability to this visceral reaction. Um, so yeah, we're fine. Well, it's like a morning <laughs> hashtag, hashtag. Hashtag. Well, it's like a morning mob mentality warm up. Like, let's practice just raging. Because you know, people lose their shit when they're in the mob, and they're like, I'm not the mob, but a mob. <laughs> um, and the then Tony Soprano comes in. Like yeah, like they just practice just being pissed off, yeah. and like Julia's seen throwing a book, and everybody's noticing like how raging they're getting. Yeah. They yeah. get it's. And, but like you said, even if you if you don't want to, there's no option to not participate. But I, I think in, in the book, in that first one, there's a moment where Winston's thinking about he does not want to be doing this and has to be forcing himself. Mm -hmm. Because if you're even caught for a second not following those rules, mm -hmm. you're out of there. It's room 101 for you. Well, and there's so many things that they're like, it's not prohibited, but we're going to we kill you. I strongly recommend you do this if you don't want to die. Yeah. <laughs> is basically the undertone. Um, and there's been, there's been a couple of moments while they're at work where you are introduced, we see Julia. She isn't called Julia yet, it's just the dark-haired girl. Um, and Winston's first instinct is to completely not trust her, think she's a member of the party. He hates women. He hates her. He, he, there's even a description where he talks about how he wants to Rape and bludgeon her to death. Um, so that's is that part still in the place? That's the little meat. Um, no, that's I do. I do say it. I do say it. <laughs> no, I wanted to. You know, I wanted to murder you, and goes into detail about what that is because, um, yeah, it's that it's that whole training of of, of, of hating mm -hmm. something you might be attracted to. It's that it is, there is pleasure there. I think that deep mm -hmm. down, I think that there is might be some sexual attraction to her, and so his immediate reaction is like, "Well, she's thought police, and I hate it, and I'm supposed to hate that." And, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's all that visceral training. Yeah, well, because he th he thinks he can never have her. I yeah. mean, he's got that wife that is not in the play. He's not in the play. Ooh, yeah. Yes. So in the yes. book, that is one big difference. Winston was married. Um, and you don't, it's, it's and all it, very sad. It's, and so, and, and it's all, really it's... You don't know how long they've been separated and he can't remember anymore and it's and, all And you're only sad. married to, to procreate. There's yes. no, there's no love. There's no, like, sexuality. It's all a big no-no. It's all just a procreation. That's yeah. all it is. Yep. Yeah. Um, Catherine was her name. She sucked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she wasn't great. He visited prostitutes a lot as a result. And they suck. And they which, suck. which is so crazy to me that there's, there's this, this regime, totalitarian regime, that is so big. Drink all the gin you want. Exactly. Have all the prostitutes you want. Actually, you're good. Yes, this is but don't have it. feelings or emotions mm -hmm. or love or anything like that. Right. But drink all you want and fuck um, all you want. That's funny you should mention it because I, uh, you can buy Victory Gin at work for 10 cents for a large nip. Which I think is a good price. How big is a large nip? Um, oh, I don't know. Tablespoonful? Yeah, tablespoonful. Um, Those of you at home, we just offended Sean greatly. I apologize. Um, no, but I do. I do want to talk about that for a second. There is this very weird dichotomy between some of these liberties that people are still allowed to have versus what they're not allowed to do. And yeah, I mean, it seems to me that. I'm all, I was also surprised this time reading it that it's as easy for them as it is to go like into the town where to visit like to the proles. I would think that they wouldn't be allowed to really leave, but they are. They can they can go. Nothing's gonna happen. Um, why do you think that they're still allowed any of those liberties? 
Well, I think uh, you have to understand that the, the society's like in it, it, lower, middle, and upper class. But in the book, it's the proles are the lower class. Like 85%, 83%? There's a shit ton of them. Yeah, and that's the majority of proles. And then you have the outer party, which are kind of more the workers who work within. And that's you, um, right? When yeah, I'm an outer party member. And then you have the, the elites, the inner parties. And so you have these kind of class structures. So proles have more liberty, have more freedom. As opposed to the uh, outer parties, mm -hmm. the inner parties can—they um, can do things like turn off the telescreens. They can, um, like, they kind of do their own thing. The outer parties are the most controlled. That I feel like they have the most uh, um, less leniency in any of their actions. But for some reason, the proles can just—they can kind of do whatever they want as long as it does—it's not a threat to Big Brother. Um, but I, my feeling is as to why they do that. I feel like if they. If they didn't allow them to have the outlets yeah. of, mm -hmm. of hate and th of sex, then there could potentially be a threat of an uprising, I feel like, because that's kind of our, our basic instincts are, are to, to eat, drink, or have sex and everything like that. So mm -hmm. I feel like there has, they have to allow that. Otherwise, it would be too much. People's yeah. heads would explode. Even they know that. Even though they've got, they've got to have sex. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we got to let these people still do it or it's going to be real bad. Um, no, that makes sense. Um, it, we're coming up on... So one of the more popular... A, a quote that I would say that I think a lot of people who've never maybe even read this book have still probably seen this quote somewhere. Me. Um, like Jess. <laughs> Uh, the party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their final, most essential command. Um, so that came up recently. We were just talking about how there was a recent tweet. Uh, <laughs> and By who? Um, I'm pulling it up because I don't want to misquote. Who tweeted it? Well, there was an original tweet yeah. by our president of the United States. Um, but a man named Renato Mariotti retweeted that tweet with the quote from George Orwell because the tweet was about how Trump told the donors, he actually said, Tim Cook apple really fast, and the cook part of the sentence was soft, but all you heard from the fake news was Tim Apple. So it was an example in the here and now of our very own president taking something that he said incorrectly and then trying to turn it around and say, you didn't hear what I said, we're rejecting that, that didn't happen, fake news. Um, how do you feel about that? <laughs> what, at the base of it is I don't understand what kind of human can't go, yeah, I misspoke. I, I said that guy's name wrong. I fucked up. Well, Oops. then you would have to be human, oh, right? Be human. You'd have to be power. Yeah. Yeah. Feelings and empathy and emotions. Use the wrong words. Yes. Yeah, so that was just a, that, that part just came up in the book, mm. and that was the little thing that, um, so yeah. Anyway, um, moving right along, we are about to meet Charrington, who we think is our friend. He's not our friend. <laughs> Sucks. Um, he owns an antique shop of sorts in Pearl, in Pearl Town. I just like to call it Pearl Town. Done. Um, and this is where Winston purchases his journal. Um, and it's actually one of the few like kind of lovely moments for like a page in the book, um, where they're describing comes you know some of the old objects that are in his shop, and he seems like this very nice, lovely sixty-year-old man. And he mentions at one point that he also has a room. Um, available to rent out that's a small room, but it has no telescreens and privacy. So Winston kind of puts that and in a his bed. head. And a bed. <laughs> um, so Winston kind of puts that in his back pocket. 
And, um, and then also in the course of this, we're getting to the time when uh, he and Julia actually interact and she passes a note to him. Yes. Now, she had her arm in a sling in mm -hmm. that. Was, it, was that subterfuge or was she actually injured? I think that was fake too. Okay. Because I know like, she stumbled and he was worried about her. Yeah, and she uh, kind of concocts a yeah. way to run into him. And after they run into each other, um, he notices she slipped a note into his hand. Um, and the, that's actually really well written, like a couple of really tense pages where he's trying to figure out when he's going to read the note. You can't even open up a piece of paper and read it. Yeah. Um, well, I love that they're like, yeah. he can't go in the bathroom because Big Brother's definitely watching you yeah. in the bathroom. Where he watches the most <laughs> is the bathroom. <laughs> they point that out in the book. Mm -hmm. um, what a perv. Um, and so he ends up tossing the piece of paper in with like all of his other little pieces of paper that he has to work off and eliminate from, for his job. Um, and when he finally gets the opportunity to open up, it's a note that just simply says, I love you. And in that moment he realizes, uh, everything he thought about Julia was wrong. Well, he hopes that everything he thought about her was wrong and she's probably not working for the party and hey, what's this girl all about? Um, they end up running into each other again so that they can figure out a time to meet, and she described very quickly a little plan for him to take a train out of town and meet him in this kind of open clearing. Thicket. Yeah. Like, a thicket. <laughs> they, but I love that they, they don't talk on the road, because there could be mics hidden along the road. Like, she waits until they're off in the trees to have a conversation. I was like, that is so nutso that you're worried that the shrubbery has microphones in it. That is horrifying yeah. and terrible. Everything could have microphones. There could be just a giant microphone, just like... Just walking behind you. Just walking. Yeah. Don't mind me. I'm just taking my microphone and going for a walk. I don't know. That's where my brain goes. Who's uh, a good microphone dog? <laughs> uh. um, but uh, they end up they they end up having sex. And it, what I found was interesting at first is that she's like, oh, I I do this. I've done this hundreds of times. Like she essentially is is one of those people who is having sex with members of the upper party. This is kind of her first time slumming it with um, an outer party member. And, but you can tell it's probably because this is actually, there's feelings. Mm -hmm. As much as one can have feelings. And a feelings and a kind of like, fuck you to mm -hmm. be And camaraderie, so and like, I love yeah. that. Like they yeah. talk about, and I love that that line is in the play too, that mm -hmm. she actually says it. Um, they talk about having sex and having sex for pleasure. It's a political act. Yeah, it's an act of rebellion too. Yeah. It's a great line. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's real. I loved. I was. I love that. That's still in the play. It's also I a great line. A great like line you know, going book. out and say, "Hey, you want to make a political act?" You know. Hey, baby. Yeah. 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 Let's take this political act back home. Um, <laughs> what's fun about Julia is that I think she's she's a great character and she's a great female character, yes. especially written in the forties, yeah. because she wants to have sex for pleasure, and that's mm -hmm. not something we see a lot. Like mm -hmm. a woman who wants her own pleasure out of sex is cast in a usually a negative light. But mm. Julia is, for a while, the heroine of this book. She's the female lead, and George Orwell's cool with that. Like, he makes it a brave act for her to enjoy having sex. Um, and I, what I also love about her is that she's masking it so brilliantly. Like, she's, a mem she's like a high-ranking member of the Anti-Sex League, or the Junior Anti-Sex League, and she was a spy when she was a kid, so she always goes to all of the events and is the most radical yeller. Like, she looks like a party person and she makes herself seem incredibly dedicated and devoted, but that's just to cover up all the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah, she sums it, her mindset is um, life 
as she saw it was quite simple. You wanted a good time. They, meaning the party, wanted to stop you having it. You broke the rules as best you could. Mm-hmm. So that pretty much sums, sums up Julia's mm-hmm. kind of mind view. Which then limits her, though, and makes me not like her as much because she she's not too revolutionary and forward-thinking. Well, it's, it's like she initially jump-starts the life into Winston mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of gives him that initial... Like, Winston has the realization that he's not alone, but it's not until Julia that he realizes that there's more like like the senses and feeling and and um, the fuck you to Big Brother is kind of what gets him on the path to a revolutionary figure. Whereas she starts to peter off and is like, no, no, it's not about overthrowing the party. It's just about enjoying life and, and having these brief moments mm-hmm. of, of satisfaction. And he says, no, it, 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 it's not satisfaction because it's not real because the party is still in control. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's mm-hmm. nothing. It, in the play and in the book, he says, nothing is ours, nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's big picture. Like He's yeah. moving into the future and she's like, I will take my scrap of happiness yeah. and when, I, when I can get it. Like yeah. thumb my nose when I can get it. Yeah, and I know we're going at this real quick and dirty, but it, as far as the summary goes, but uh, we haven't brought up O'Brien yet. Um, O'Brien is a figure that we've we've seen throughout the book. It's kind of a mystery as to who he really is. I mean, he we know where he works and everything, but he sucks. It, yeah, and he sucks too. Um, most people in this book suck, uh, <laughs> but we've come to the point now where he. Um, Winston gets receives a message that O'Brien would like to speak with him and has invited him to his apartment. Um, and uh, Winston decides to bring Julia along as well. Um, and they go together. And um, it's th- in this, o- O'Brien essentially lies to everybody. Um, makes it seem like the brotherhood is real. He's part. The brotherhood is good. Uh, we didn't mention that yet. Um, makes it seem like the brotherhood is real. It's something that they can be a part of. Um, I can help you get there. He gives them real wine. Yay. I'm so excited. And then tablets to erase um, the smell. Yeah. So. And, and he, he makes them feel comfortable. He makes them feel like they can trust him. Um, they both say that they would essentially do anything for the brotherhood. And so we've set that scene. Yeah. And he's, he set them up real bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is like big time setup to the max. Um, and it legitimate, like that apartment is O'Brien's way of legitimizing everything that Winston has suspected up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it makes it, it, it's the other jump start. So Julia's the first jump start, O'Brien's the second jump start. So that by going into this and to Winston's journey, he's completely. Um, committed and completely coming out of state of state of vulnerability into a state of complete control over his destiny and you know like so much of what this play is is that winston is kind of the central figure that these people are orbiting around him and are kind of affecting him to get to the point to where he is trying to take take control of of the oppression mm-hmm. yeah um, but we ultimately find out that Charrington has betrayed him, and O'Brien has betrayed him, and um, through a series of events, we they have been apprehended, and Julia and Winston are brought to the Ministry of Love, which is not love at all. Um, it is the place where they bring people to torture them and fun stuff like that. Can we talk a little bit about the, the book that, oh, yes. that O'Brien gives oh, yeah. in Goldstein's book? Because that's another way that yeah. he kind of hoodwinks him, is by saying that he has a copy of Goldstein's book, and... Um, 
Winston's very interesting. And he makes him jump through so many hoops to get, to get it. it. Like, it <laughs> seems like this really is a real secret organization. It really is a rebellion because they're so secretive and they have all these protocols. And if they you only capture it, copies we're not going to come for you. And, like, yeah. it seems like he's really stepping into this secret organization with all this stuff in place. And it was such an elaborate fucking ruse. Yeah. Yeah. What does that do for you? For, your, for, for, Winston, for Winston, I mean, what's so. What's so impactful about this book is, even though I knew I knew where it was going, um, reading Goldstein's book as Sean, <laughs> thinking about Winston, mm. I everything that Winston felt reading that book is what I felt and is what the reader feels. And I can't rem- I can't find the quote in here, but he talks about just reading the first chapter and saying that it's all the things he suspected about society, all the things he inherently were. Inst- were there, but it wasn't like an actual document and someone talking about it. It's the same thing when we when we hear about these things in the news about like this whole uh, collegiate scandal that's coming out right now. Mm-hmm. We inherently know the rich people have it easier, you know. But it's these little moments of things of like yeah. I fucking knew it, you know, <laughs> that, that it's there, it's right there, and it's evidence, and, and that's what Goldstein's book was, it's this, it's this thing that you feel deep inside that is wrong with society, but no one's talking about it, there's no evidence of it, and then you have this book come out, and you read it, and it's like, yes, yes, I knew it, um, and even, I mean, there's so much in Goldstein's book within Orwell's book, I mean, it's a different font, mm-hmm. and so you're reading it, and you're just like, Oh my God! Yes, um, there's just um, like this one quote right here. Um, In the past, the need for a hierarchical form of society had been the doctrine specifically of the high. It had been preached by kings and aristocrats, and by the priests, lawyers, and the like that who uh, parasitical upon them. And it had generally been softened by promises of compensation in an imaginary world beyond the grave. I mean, it's just like. Fuck yeah, you know, <laughs> and it just goes on and on, and it talks about it talks about high and middle and low, all those classes, and if you keep the high controlling the middle to be upset at the low, it's all the tactics. It's like you read, you see the news now, and it's like the administration read Orwell's book and was like, oh yeah, totally, we should totally do that. Those seem like some pretty good ideas. No, they don't read. They don't but, read. Yeah. Uh, well, and then. The question I had is, you know, we see these characters. We know Winston is real. We know Julia is real. But do we know Goldstein is real? Do we know Big Brother is real? Like, is Goldstein's literature manufactured by the fucking party as a trap? Or is it a real man who wrote this? There's all of these shadow figures that we don't know if they were vaporized or not. Or, Um, like, you can't trust anything other than your own eyes in time and space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what's driving me crazy. (laughs) What's real and what's not. Did you guys see that Black Mirror episode about the blue bear that was yes. elected Prime yeah. Minister of England? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you not see that? No. Okay, they elect um, a cartoon bear as the Prime Minister of England, and they end up firing the guy who does the voice because he doesn't, he doesn't like the political platform, and they just replace him. And he's like, but I'm the bear. And they're like, no, you're replaced. So there's this fake leader, a la Big Brother, and they, it's that shit. Watch that episode yeah, of Black Mirror. Watch every Black Mirror every episode. It's basically 84 every mm-hmm. single one. <laughs> if you need more 1984 after this, if you want to be Black sadder. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we don't need to go too much into what happens at the Ministry of Love. I no. think we all know the story. Come see the play. Come see the play. We don't want to give away too much of it. Um, it's all very intense and horrible. Um, and then Winston is 
but, but, but basically what O'Brien is trying to tell him is we want to make you perfect before we shoot you in the back of the head. Um, we want to make your brain perfect and we want you to be party perfect we and we want you to love party. Big Brother. And yeah. this is what we want to do. We want to purify you before we execute you, which is just so sweet. It's basically, uh, if you've seen Matrix 2, when um, uh, Neo goes to the architect and he's like, you think you know everything. Well, this is actually everything. It's basically that. And it's just your brain is just explodes. It's like you think, I mean, he tells Winston, it's like you think, you, you think your love is important. You're not special. You're, you're nothing. You think the world can be fixed by, I mean, it, it, is, it, is, it is tough to hear and it is tough to read. Because you can't help but, be, but have that hope of like, no, love can conquer. We can come out of this with mm -hmm. compassion and empathy. And O'Brien's like, no, nope. it's not. It doesn't matter. Two mm -hmm. plus two equals five now. Yep. Or sometimes it's three. Or sometimes... That's, what, that's what's most terrifying to me. It's kind of what you were talking about, about the not being able to trust anything. Mm -hmm. Also the thought of um, your choices are either to convince yourself that something you know to be true is false or mm -hmm. death. Those are basically your choices. And that whole section where... I mean, poor Winston's being tortured and into finally admitting that even though he's got four fingers being held up in front of his face, it might be five or it might be well, three. You know what bothered me so much about that is that it reminded me of The Taming of the Shrew, which is supposed to be a fucking comedy. When, when Petruchio's like, no, it's the moon. And she's like, it's clearly the sun. He's like, say, it's the moon or you're never eating again. Um, like, yeah. and that's a comedy. And <laughs> we don't need to do that play anymore. I don't no. Think. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Maybe we do. I don't but I was really bothered because it reminded me so much of this. This bleak, dystopian landscape had something reminiscent of an Elizabethan, hilarious, woman-hating play. <laughs> um, but O'Brien has basically been able to get him to comply up to the point where he is still saying that he hates Big Brother. And um, so the last resort is he's sent to room 101, which is um, basically a room. It's it's not like the room of requirement in Harry Potter, <laughs> which is where you well, can manifest the thing you want the most. It's the opposite of that. It's the worst thing in the world to you. Um, and in Winston's case, that's the fear of a certain rodent. Yeah. A capybara. <laughs> no. Yes. Ah. <laughs> yes. so, I was going to ask Sean how he felt about rats. He told me not to ask him that question. Oh, um, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I don't mind rats. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Really? Good. Me, Even Sean? Even now, after the show? You don't no, no. I think, they're, I think they're pretty cute, actually. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, good, because the rat was my favorite character in this. Okay. <laughs> not, not the torture rat. But the one not in the, the torture rat. <laughs> the one in the bedroom when they're after they've made love and then Julia throws a boot at the oh, rat yeah. or whatever. That was a pretty nice rat. He was just a voyeur rat and he was my favorite character. He was just a kinky rat. Yeah. The rat just wanted to watch people make love. It's, yeah. just, it's just Templeton, really. Which brings me to my next point of doing Animal Farm as Charlotte's Web. <laughs> Well, we've reviewed Charlotte's <laughs> Web on this podcast. <laughs> Fuck, where was Sean on that one? So I'm pretty sure we could make that happen. Um, oh, Animal Farm. I mean, and that's and that's pretty that's pretty much the end. I mean, he's thoroughly broken down. And um, in the book, though, there is a scene where he's back in the bar. That's not mm. in the play. You were at your desk. Um, yeah, there, there is this kind of reset. Do. Uh, you do you think this is real, though? In the book? Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, I think I think that the book is is real. I mean, it, there there's just a weird interaction between him and Julia that is kind of sustained in this mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, I th- I think of the book every, every without question everything that happens to Winston is real. It's just a it's just the things like Goldstein of whether or not that's real or not. Um, but I think within the play there is a constant questioning of what is real is Winston a real person mm-hmm. um, I, I think that's the ultimate dramatic question of, of what the play is is what is reality yes. whereas as opposed to the, the actual book I think that um, with the appendix and everything it kind of verifies that this actually happened um, it's just as to what degree um, I yeah. it wasn't a trick question I just wanted to oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the final lines of the book are, but it was all right, everything was all right, the struggle was finished. He had won the victory over himself, he loved Big Brother. And that's how the book ends. Oof. So, so I already said my favorite character, the voyeur rat. But, um, I just, everybody else bummed me out. Even poor Winston bummed me out. Like, it, it was really hard to spend time with these people. But do you guys have favorite characters? Um, I, I, I still like Julia. I still like what she's about. Um, I, I get what you're saying about how she's still kind of, her motivations are a little whatever, but I think because she's, maybe it's just because she's the female character, well, there's Mrs. Parsons, but because she's the female character in this and given when it was written, I think there's some good material there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, 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 I agree. I mean, as much as I do love Winston, yeah. it's just so... Um, amazing to see uh, 1949 it's just a woman that is so independent in a time of independence is a Mm no-no um and there's in the play there is a little bit more of questioning of where julia lies about how much she knows or is she a part of the system that o'brien has created is she a is she a part of o'brien's plan how how independent is she from it um, so as, as I've read the play, or as I've read the book and kind of gotten familiar with the play as well, I gravitate more towards Julia because, mm-hmm. because especially with the play, you really do question how, how much involved she is with, is it honest? Is it real? What she's mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. for Winston? Or is it all just an act for O'Brien? Yeah. Is it, is, yeah. is the, O'Brien uses Goldstein's book as an instrument, but is he using Julia as an instrument as well? And that's that's a right. question that our production uh, tried to pose. Yeah. Well, that's a good question because who do you trust? And that's that's the downfall of Winston, is is his trust. Mm-hmm. Um, he, at the beginning, he doesn't trust anyone, but then he trusts Julia, mm-hmm. and then he trusts O'Brien. And where does that end? where does that end up? Not well. Not well. So don't trust anyone. Yeah, ever. that's a takeaway from yeah. this book. Never we need to give out one ever again. The sex to your asthma award. Yeah. Oh, okay. So if you you won't be familiar with this, but um, in um, Lord, of the, Lord of the Flies, uh, there's a character who says sucks to your asthma because he's talking about asthma. Poor Piggy has asthma, um, and we decided that we would start a new award called the Sucks to Your Asthma Award, which is for the uh, biggest dick in whatever book we're reading. Um, it's really hard to choose this type. book. Yeah. Who would you even pick? Uh, my Sucks to Your Asthma Award is for his fucking wife, Catherine. Aww. I hate her. <laughs> I was she, not expecting she that. Sucked. There's a lot of people who sucked in this book. But I think she sucked the most, 
And that scene when he was thinking about the time they got lost on the hike and he could have just pushed her off the cliff. I was like, Winston! <laughs> just push her off the cliff! Like, she only appears in flashbacks. She's not an important character. But she, she's like, just sits there lifeless during sex and like hates everything. It's very Handmaid's Tale. It's really, uh, I don't care for her. Wow, I was not expecting yeah. you to say Surprise, I hate Catherine. <laughs> um, I think mine ultimately has to go to Charrington um, because he lured me into a false sense of security. And I, O'Brien, I was, uh, I'm always suspicious of. Charrington, I, I had moments where I truly believed he was a good person and he's not. And that sucks. To your ass mark. To your ass mark. Sean? I would say the children. Yeah, uh, they, they were my runners. Up. They were my runners up. Yes, they were the worst. God, I like. They're just a whole generation of Rook assaults just running. <laughs> 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 You're a thought criminal. Yeah. You're a thought criminal. Yeah. 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 I want some victory gin now. Yeah. <laughs> I want a ration now. Give it to me, Dad. Ooh, but the parts because the part, the one part that stuck with me. Where favorite slash painful is when Win child Winston took the chocolate yeah. ration. Because yeah. they're just you are, your kids are selfish. They're selfish, yeah, and <sighs> yeah, and that, that's the that's another another point O'Brien puts out. And what's so fucking frustrating is is there are times to where you actually agree with O'Brien that they, yeah, and it's hard to believe, but mm-hmm. O'Brien says like you're selfish. All you care about is yourself. All you care about is chocolate and coffee and sex. And there's a part of me I'm like, God yeah. damn, it's fucking right. That we're all I care selfish. about too. Yeah. <laughs> all at the same time. Uh, um, so we always have our own discussion questions, which we've cleverly named disquestions. Um, I want to go to Sean's point about chocolate, coffee, and sex all at the same time and figure out how that works. Because <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. That's not my disquestion. No. You want to go back to that? I feel like there's a we fun one about. That. I don't know. But where? <laughs> um, Not in front of a telescreen. <laughs> Sean, did you have a disquestion for us? So, remind me, that was the... Uh, uh, just a discussion just question. Discussion question. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, I did, I did. It can be done. Um, Mine's real dumb. So, oh, yeah. uh, Mine's what's done. your room 101? Oh, God. What's your worst thing? Oh, what's your room 202? Your biggest pet peeve. <laughs> and room 303, the best thing in the world. Oh, wow. So, uh, a room of 101's... One, two of twos and three of threes. Ooh, do you have your answers? Yes, I do. Why don't you, why don't you go first? Uh, think about this well, I'm going to start with best and then go to worst. Okay. Um, so 303, I think, would be um, a room full of kittens with a giant uh, toy box full of kitty toys. I feel like that would be just a really fun room. I think have lots of fun. Just all the kitty toys and just, a, just all the kittens. Uh, next, pet, uh, uh, 202, 202, I think... Uh, they would definitely have to be um, uh, the the people who um, pull up into an intersection and get right in the intersection of Denver and don't know that when it's turning yellow you shouldn't be in the middle of it because then you're going to block the rest of traffic. Uh, and so what I do is I just drive up right up on them and I'm like, mm-hmm, and just stare at them. <laughs> They'll never look at you. But you just stare mm-hmm. at them and grill them. That's my 202. And then 101 is... Um, uh, lightning. I have this very uh, real fear of lightning. Uh, I grew up on the plains of Oklahoma, and the idea of being in a very flat area with a thunderstorm above me with lightning strikes is t- terrifying. I'm actually very terrified of lightning. I've only been I've been struck uh, almost uh, struck four or five times. What? Jesus. Yeah. 
I've had it struck with me in front of a road, uh, above an overhang, and um, uh, another time in, un in front of me in a road, like four times. Like, I'm, yeah. I, and so I, I've I, had I, nightmares of it. I so see I'm, why. It's very specific. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, do you want to go? Oh, yikes. I'll go. Okay. Um, I'll go. I'll go. I'll work backwards too. Okay. I like Great. that. Yeah. Um, so my room 303 would have um, a chocolate fountain, a champagne waterfall, and a puppy. Um, <laughs> my and unlimited Netflix. Um, uh, my room 202 would be uh, sitting in a very tight, cramped audience where everyone around me is making noise or opening wrappers <laughs> or chopping on on food, and the noise would surely kill me. And um, my 101. Uh, I think my, big, my biggest fear is drowning. So it would probably be a situation where it's just filling up with water very slowly. Jesus. Yeah. I don't mean to bring the room down, but he asked the question. Yeah. Uh, my room 303 is a great room. Uh, my husband and I are hanging out, and we're drinking La Croix, and we're just watching the middle part of Les Miserables. Yep. Once that barricade falls, we just start back over from Look Down. It's really good. Um, my, ooh. <laughs> Speaking of, next episode. I didn't um, put my husband in my room 303. He's not here tonight. <laughs> Mine is, hey. Um, my 202, though, my fucking pet peeve is would be a bunch of people who just reply all. <laughs> oh. Just yeah. to say gratitude. There's no message. There's like gratitude. And you're like, that's funny. Or you just got it! it. Exclamation 45 point. 45 fucking people. And you're like, I didn't need to know. In my room 101, um, my, one of my biggest fears, I always jokingly say it's the Grinch who stole Christmas, which is kind of true, but I would be constantly at a place where I'm not welcome. One of my biggest fears is going somewhere, like to a party, and I'm not invited and being told to leave. Like, you're not supposed to be here. Which has happened a handful of times in my life, and it's fucking terrible. Or like somebody invites the wrong Jessica. <laughs> oh, you're that Jessica. I'm that, oh. Oh. Um, I, guess it, I guess we missed out one key thing, which was talking briefly about George Orwell, <laughs> the author of this book. Um, he has had a, he had a very interesting life. Um, he died rather young. He was only 46. He had tuberculosis. The TB got a lot of people. Um, but one, I think one of the easiest ways to summarize him is actually this paragraph that's um, in the beginning of the book. George Orwell is not his real name. Um, he changed it. So George Orwell was the pen name of an Englishman named Eric Blair. He was born in Bengal in 1903, educated at Eton, and after service with the Indian Imperial Police in Burma, returned to Europe to earn his living writing novels and essays. People can do that, right? Okay. Um, he was essentially a political writer who wrote of his own times, a man of intense feelings and fierce hates. He hated totalitarianism and served in the loyalist forces in the Spanish Civil War. He was critical of communism, but was himself a socialist. He hated intellectuals, although he was a literary critic. He distrusted lying and cruelty in life and in literature. He died at 46 of a neglected lung ailment, leaving behind a substantial body of work and a growing reputation for greatness and the convic conviction that modern man was inadequate to cope with the demands of his history. So that's a little bit on George Orwell. Um, but yeah, he, he, left, he was married at one point and his wife- Fell off a cliff because he pushed her. No, yeah. she died 
this was this was a set. She oh. died in the hospital because she got a hysterectomy, and she didn't tell. He was out of town, and she didn't tell him that she was going to have the procedure because she didn't want to worry him, and then she died. And then he remarried again in the last like six months of his life. Fuck. Yeah. And he had one child who he adopted with his first wife. And um, there's some really mm -hmm. interesting articles. Actually, um, if you want to learn a little bit more about him, Google that, Google George Orwell's uh, son. Um, there's some really cool stuff about that. When I heard about the Orwell estates, whoever it's been passed down to since then, said no to a David Bowie musical of 1984. Aww. <laughs> yeah. I guess his album Diamond Dogs had a bunch of songs yes. based on 1984, mm -hmm. and he wanted to make a full-length musical, and the Bowie estate, or the nice. Orwell was like, no. Uh, and that is, um, in regards to this play, I guess it was the first time the Orwell estate allowed use of the appendix interesting something. So that's kind of fun fact. What's your um, question? Oh, I didn't say mine. I didn't say mine either. Oh, I got sidetracked by, side by George Jesus. Orwell. Um, oh, my discussion was, um, how many, uh, how much victory gin would you need to drink to just go numb to your surroundings? Like, do you think there's an amount? Do you think you could legally drink enough uh, of that room well, temperature gin I'm not to a make gin yourself drinker, numb? So it would have to be victory Jameson. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> Thing is, is I don't I don't get numb. I get angry. Yeah. So I feel like it's just gonna be counter. It's not gonna that be productive know. at all. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna get more angry. Okay. Do you think all these people are walking around like constantly in a state of the hair of the dog? Like they're hungover and then they start drinking again and then they're hungover and they start drinking again. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. Because it just seems like nasty, oily, lighter fluid. Yeah. So none of it. None of it. I don't think. <laughs> I think you just drink all until you die and then you're in a better place. Maybe that's go. the right amount then. <laughs> the right amount is all of it. Drinking till death. There we go. Uh, What's well, your discussion? My discussion is also about uh, victory rations because the chocolate there sucks. Um, yeah. It's like crumbly and gross, but they still get all pissed off when those chocolate rations get cut. Because even though it's disgusting and gross, much like gluten-free bread, you still want chocolate, you still want bread. So what is the thing that you would still eat a pale imitation of? Oh. I don't know because my first instinct would be cheese, but not real cheese is so not good. Like, would you eat a slice of American cheese if that was the only cheese there was? <sighs> Probably. I hate to say it, but yeah. <laughs> if that, if American, if if like sliced American cheese was the only cheese I could get, mm -hmm. yeah, I would do it. Oh, I would do it. <laughs> I might do bacon. I feel like I've I've always had like turkey bacon. It's mm -hmm. always good. I've never had bad baked bacon. So maybe that. Fake and bacon? Fake and mm -hmm. bacon. Yeah. But yeah. I, hmm, well, gluten-free bread. <laughs> You're already there. I'm already so. there. I'm already eating <laughs> half-assed substitutions for things. Um, I don't know. I would probably say, like, shitty diet soda. Like, you know that when you buy the King Supers brand of diet oh, soda? Like when you're diet 27 and you can't afford anything? Like that. <laughs> diet Zazz. Still eating it because it was 19 cents. Um, Instead of Dr. Pepper, it's like Do Mr. Popper. <laughs> I am already living in 1984, you guys. <laughs> um, so why the fuck did we have to read this book? Oh, Jesus. Um, well, I mean... I know why we should have to keep reading it now. I mean, as, as bleak as this is, I do think it is, I use, the, I use the phrase cautionary tale a lot, but I do think that, I, I hope this is something that is still being read in schools. Um, because I think we had to read it as a warning sign. 
Well, when we were all in school, granted, I did not read it, um, but I, I could see it being assigned as a cautionary tale of some, but also seeing it being kind of far, not far-fetched, but not as close as it is now. Like in the right. 90s, when we would all have been reading this, uh-huh. it would be like, oh, that's pretty bad. It could eventually get that bad. But, I mean, it has to be super relevant right now. Like, if kids aren't standing up in class and just being like, this is what we are doing. Look at the security cameras. Look at everyone's videotaping me constantly. Like, if kids don't clock into that when they read that, that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I turn back to that Goldstein's book. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like, if you if you don't have time to read the book, at least read Goldstein's book within the book. Yeah. Because it, 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 it really goes, it perfectly <coughs> sums up everything that uh, a, a, a country that goes into isolationism that eventually goes into totalitarian fascism. It, it, it perfectly explains like the, the deterioration of rights, uh, the uh, spreading of misinformation. The biggest thing is isolate, isolation. Um, the us versus them, which is the most cautionary I feel right now, is that mm-hmm. we as a nation are, are there is an, there are forces all over the world right now that are creating a us versus them mentality, whether that is immigration, whether that is Muslims, whether that is, is homophobic, uh, anti-gay, whatever it is, there is forces at work that are creating um, a feeling of, of, of fear and un- lack of empathy mm-hmm. for the other. Yeah. Um, and so I think what I pull the most from that is, is, is how dangerous it is to create borders, to create mm-hmm. that mentality of, of someone who's different than me is a threat to my existence. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you think about it, people started out as kind of free-range people. Like, they're roaming around, hunting, gathering. The proles are almost free-range people. Like, granted, they're hunting for rats and, like, gathering garbage to eat, but they have freedom. I feel like they have a less of the controlled mentality. Because they have the less power, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, like, if ancient people just wandering around, living their life, eating berries and shit, that was pretty great. And now, the more structured we get, the more we define society, the more rules we have, the more complicated it gets. And there's also that let's control people by making them have a license to drive a car, which is a good thing. So you have good drivers on the road, but also you need permission from the government to do this thing. You need to um, pass this in order to do this. Like we are getting more tightly controlled, and eventually it's gonna get worse. Like I mean, I I know nothing about North Korea because I sh- will never go there, um, and everything I I get is from you know American news or maybe BBC news. But that seems to be the situation there. Is everything is controlled? You love our you love Kim Jong Un. Are we on Un right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you love your leader. Like, you have to say... And he's infallible. Yeah. And that's that's what's so scary right now, is like we talked about earlier about 45, never admitting his mm-hmm. ability to be wrong, is that we're creating not a, a political figure, but a demagogue, a cult, in that there is... There, that it is all trust and ability to to give all my faith and into the supreme big brother leader without questioning, without a responsibility. And that creates... I mean, it... It is a sense of freedom because it's just here's take the wheel, Trump, take the wheel. You know, <laughs> it's easier um, for me not to think. And yeah, because that's easier. Um, and we've lived a life of of we've got it easy as as a superpower. We haven't really had um, the 
ability to feel the pain yet. Um, I feel that the more as the middle class shrinks, the more we become high and low society, the more, uh, uh, as, as horrible as it is, I also feel like the more people are being affected by the ugliness and that hopefully, like what Winston says is, if there's hope, real hope, it lies in the people, the people that are storing up in their hearts and bellies and muscles the power that will one day overturn the world because if you get enough people on your side, uh, it can topple a power. Uh, I think the content of this podcast is enough to get us all dragged into room 101. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big Brother is watching um, all of us, so we should probably <laughs> wrap this mm -hmm. up. Um, we usually talk a little bit about uh, what other forms this has been in, but obviously it's, it's a play. Um, and it but was wait. a movie. Oh, yeah, it was a movie. Who was in it? Good? That was actually released in 1984. Oh, um, The Breakfast Club. No, nobody oh. really famous. Um, but I do have, I had a quote from the Roger Ebert review. Go on. He did give it three and a half stars. Um, he said, what Orwell feared which, when he wrote his novel in 1948 was that Hitlerism, Stalinism, centralism, and conformity would catch hold and turn the world into a totalitarian prison camp. It is hard, looking around the globe, to say that he was altogether wrong. And Roger Ebert wrote that in 1984 when this movie came out. So um, let us never forget the chilling occurrence of Ned Flanders as Big Brother <laughs> on uh, Treehouse <laughs> Four Five. We like to try to tie everything we read to The Simpsons and in I some did. form, and it's actually pretty easy to do. And Jessica found a really great, yeah. Hey, what the hell is that geek Flanders doing on TV? Oh, I see by the big board we got a negative Nelly in sector two. I'm afraid I'm gonna have to ask the whole family to kind of freeze and prepare for re-education. Don't you remember, Dad? Flanders is the unquestioned lord and master of the world. Don't! There we go. Wasn't that hilarious? That's so funny. <laughs> oh, Flanders. Oh, Flanders, you numbskull. All right. Um, um, what are we doing next episode? Oh, we don't really it. know yet. Probably more lame is. Our next mini-sode will be the second book of Les Mis, so uh, <laughs> starting off with a whole bunch of dead people on the Battle of Waterloo and ending up on more sad Frenchies. Uh, at the end of that episode, we'll announce our next book so you can read if you want. We're trying real hard to find something happy, you guys. Happy. We're trying real hard. Um, and we do want to say, as just a little plug, of course, come see the Benchmark Theater production. I have little cards, if you haven't seen it yet, to get you a discount. Um, and I did want to uh, thank the whole cast as well. So featuring Sean Scrutchins, Dan O'Neill, Rebecca Buckley, Chris Kendall, Perry Lewis, Suzanne Connors, Neppy, John Whitbrot, who's here today, um, Ryan Omar Stack, and Lorelai Kepler. So come see these very talented artists here at Benchmark Theater playing through April 13th. Uh, hey, Sean, if people, A, uh, anything else to promote, any other projects, or B, if you do want people to find you online, you can share your Instagram and Twitter, but don't feel the need to do that if you don't want to be found. Yeah, Sean Scrutchins on Instagram, and uh, right now, this is all I have, so um, yeah, please come see it. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, there might, uh, if you want to sit front row and be brave, please, uh, there might, you might get blood on you, you might not. <laughs> it's the splash zone. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Don't wear anything nice. No. Um, and I'm going to do it since she probably won't plug it herself. Go see the play that Jessica Austin wrote called yeah. Sin Street Social Club. I saw I wrote it. And it's playing now through May 18th? May, sure. Ish. Ish. At the Arvada Center for the Performing Arts, and it's hilarious. So if you do need to laugh, go laugh there. It's very, very funny. 
Um, and I don't want to be this person, but I um, I don't have any discount codes, but you can get tickets on Gold Star sometimes. So if you're strapped for cash and you're like, I can't pay fancy prizes, um, they, sometimes there are discounts on Gold Star. So I may even have still some coupons left. Come hit hit me up. I say just send a message to at REQ Recast <laughs> on Instagram, and Lauren will get you some tickets. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Lauren. I, hey, you're welcome. Um, and so our very first book that we ever did was The Outsiders with the classic line, stay gold. And so we always like to, uh, stay gold, pony boy. So we always like to wish um, some of these literary characters to uh, stay gold. So um, stay gold, Charrington, you big party asshole. Stay gold, Catherine. Um, stay gold, Winston. Do you have I think uh, yes. <laughs> stay gold, Goldstein. Yeah, oh, there you go. Hey. Stay gold, pack of uh, children spies. <laughs> Stay gold, big brother, I guess, because mm -hmm. if I don't say it to you, then you'll probably send me to room 101. <laughs> Stay gold, corner rat. <laughs> Stay gold, Sean. Stay Thanks gold, for coming. Oh, thank and Stay gold, Jessica. Stay gold, Lauren. Yeah. And let's clap for our guest, Sean. Thank you for listening to Required Readcast. If you enjoyed the show, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a rating and or review. We're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at REQ Readcast. Required Readcast is produced by Sexpot Comedy. Theme music and lyrics by Max McEwen and Noah Evan Wilson. Vocals by Aaron C. Willis. Stay, Stay gold, gold, bookworms! bookworms.